Good evening and welcome again to our Bible study series. This is a new series that we just began last time uh, in the book of Acts. And we are going to try to make our way through all 28 chapters of the book of Acts. I believe it's a very important uh, portion of scripture and it's key to our understanding the church, what the church really is, a lot of things that we have sort of accumulated over the years as being sacred to the church aren't even in the book of Acts. And we'll be able to separate out, I think, the essential things and the things that may be man's additions to what God intended. Jesus spoke in Matthew 16, one of only two places in all four Gospels where the church is even mentioned. He didn't teach on the church. He didn't give seminars on the church. All he did was speak one day and say to Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we have to wait until the book of Acts to begin to understand even what a church is, what a church looks like, what do we do in church. And the key theme in these opening chapters and really throughout the whole book of Acts is we're going to actually see the birth of the church and we'll be able to trace the marks of a true church and apply them to our own experience and as has often been the case with me when I get into the book of Acts and really start studying it it stirs me up to pray to seek God, to fast, to dig even deeper into the Word and say, Lord, this is the church we want in these last days. And not only that, God has promised that the glory of the latter house will be even greater than the glory of the former. So all the glory that we see in the book of Acts, God wants us to enjoy today and even more than that as we are approaching the coming of the Lord. And, as always, I want to mention to any newcomers that both the notes and the audio recordings for all of these studies are made available through our website. That's new-life-ministries.org and you can search around there for both the downloadable notes as well as the audio recordings for each one of these sessions. It is also very uh, highly advisable, if you're able to do it, to subscribe to our ministry podcast, uh, depending on your device, just uh, search for New Life Ministries and subscribe to the podcast, and you will automatically get all of the updates, the notes, and the recordings as they are uh, uploaded to the website. You can also listen live online at MixLR.com, and again, just search for the broadcast name of New Life Ministries, and you can either listen to the recordings there, or listen live, as some are doing right now as we speak. Real quick recap, and then we want to move right into part two uh, last time, all we did was basically an introduction. Part two, we're going to actually begin 
uh, with Acts 1. <clears throat> but I want to reiterate that my real purpose in doing this series is not just to fill our heads with information. It's good. We'll learn some new facts about church history, how the church started, and things like that. But my real prayer is that this would challenge us, motivate us, encourage us to really begin to move with the Holy Spirit and allow Christ to build His church in these last days, to restore the church to the full apostolic power and authority that we're going to be reading about in the book of Acts, all the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, all the things that they had are ours also. And we shouldn't settle for anything less. And I have to say, these last ten days or so, my wife and I were in Puerto Rico. Appreciate your prayers for us. We ministered in a church that I mean is just on fire. And we saw the book of Acts coming alive as we were there. And the Spirit of God moved powerfully, mighty anointing, and people just responding to the Holy Spirit in incredible ways. And I'm sure we'll be sharing more about that in coming days. But this isn't just theory. This is real. God wants us to have this kind of a church, this kind of an experience where we are full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, seeing the glory of God and signs and wonders and souls saved, healed, delivered on a regular basis. And so, as we embark on this study, be praying as I am, Lord, restore your church. Restore this power, restore all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, restore the anointing of the Spirit to the ministries of the church in these last days. And even in the face of persecution and opposition, give us boldness to keep speaking your word. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 1, and if you are following along in the notes, we're in part 2. Waiting for the Promise, and this is page 5. We're going to start by reading Acts 1, from verse 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering... He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. (coughs) Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now last time we saw that the book of Acts is generally understood to be written by Luke, who was a physician. He also wrote the gospel named after him. He was very careful with details. He searched everything out and put together a very orderly account of what Jesus did in volume 1, which would be the Gospel of Luke. And now, in Acts, it's like volume 2. It's a continuation, note these words, of what Jesus began to do and teach. So, the Gospel of Luke was just the beginning of what Jesus was going to do, and even what he was going to teach. And there are several ways to understand that. Of course, he remained with the apostles 40 more days after his resurrection, but even after his ascension back to the Father and the sending of the Holy Spirit, he would continue to do and teach through the Holy Spirit and through his body, through the church. So, very interesting the way the book begins. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's where the Gospel of Luke ends, with the ascension of Jesus back up into heaven, his command to the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power. So, this... 40-day period is fascinating to think about. We're not given a whole lot of details, except that he concentrated his attention on these 11 apostles. Of course, Judas, we'll hear a little bit about later in this chapter. He's already dead now. But the other 11 are now with Jesus, And for 40 days, he makes a number of appearances in his resurrection body to teach them and also to convince them. Notice in verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The resurrection of Jesus is a very important theme throughout the book of Acts. The apostles are a very important group that we'll talk about more in a moment. Jesus is concentrating his efforts now on those apostles, convincing them beyond any doubt that he's risen from the dead, (coughs) because 
one of their main jobs is going to be to witness, like an eyewitness testifying in court, to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. So convinced were they that he was risen from the dead that they would all end up giving their lives as martyrs for the sake of Christ. And, you know, you can believe only so far in a fable or a fairy tale. You certainly won't be willing to shed your blood and give your, your life for a fairy tale. These men came to a place where they were absolutely convinced that Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the dead, and now they're just waiting for the power that was promised that would come shortly thereafter on the day of Pentecost, and then they would begin this process of witnessing to his resurrection. A couple of other things that capture my attention right in this opening verse. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. We mentioned that he's not finished yet. This is just the beginning. He's going to keep building his church now through the Holy Spirit and through the members of his body. Jesus would ascend back to the Father. Now he would turn over the work to the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts, we mentioned, could actually be given any number of titles. Traditionally, it's called the Acts of the Apostles because of the emphasis on the Apostles in the early church. You could also call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Church or the Acts of His Body. All of those would be valid descriptions of what we're going to be seeing in this book. Notice also the order all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, I'm a teacher, and this speaks to me volumes because we're often tempted to teach and then do. But that's not the biblical pattern. We must first do the Word of God. Then God will give us authority to teach it to others. And one way I like to put this we must become the message. We are living epistles. You and I, as we believe the Word of God, begin to put the Word of God into practice in our lives, it becomes a part of our life. And rather than just going around teaching and preaching things that we learned in college or school or something, we are the message. So, our preaching, our teaching, our witnessing to others, it must first be lived. And I have learned the hard way that if we try to teach or preach things to others that we haven't yet lived or practiced or experienced, we will bring death to the hearers. Because the, the Spirit gives life, the letter... Just the words kill. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we can kind of be like Peter, swinging our sword around. The Word of God is likened to a sword. 
we can be like Peter just swinging our sword around and we end up hacking off people's ears. In other words, we shut or close their ears and make them unable to hear. So God has called us to be living messengers, living messages, living epistles. So I think the order here is critical. Do and then teach. We'll find in Acts chapter 6 a similar pattern. There the apostles said we must give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Notice the order. Everybody wants to be a teacher and a preacher. Oh, they want to get up there in front of the pulpit. They want to be on the stage under the bright lights. They want to have a TV program and and all that. But nobody wants to pray. But the apostles understood the order. Prayer, lots of prayer, and then minister the word. Do and then teach. The apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said in 1 Timothy 4.16, Watch your life and your doctrine. Notice the order. First, your life, and then the doctrines the things you're teaching. But more important than the things you're teaching, Timothy, watch your life. And then if you do that, everybody will be able to see your spiritual progress, your spiritual growth. And I have learned over the years, I can only take people as far as I go. I can't teach them or preach them into something beyond what I've actually done and experience. And so the challenge for us who are leaders, teachers, preachers, Sunday school teachers, we have to keep pressing on. We have to keep growing. We have to go further if we want to lead others further. So do and teach. Pray and then minister. Watch your own life and then teach others. Sorry, came back with a little bit of a cough from Puerto Rico. As I mentioned, the book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. You'll notice that we just read here, in the 40 days that Jesus remained on earth after his resurrection, he concentrated those 40 days on his apostles. Verse 2 again, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. We're going to find an emphasis right through the book of Acts on the apostolic life and ministry. It's very, very important. And apostles, sometimes people misunderstand this word. They they think apostle is some, you know, great person, um, you know, some super spiritual man. All the word means is messenger or sent ones. They're like delegates 
representatives, ambassadors, all of those are terms that could be used to describe an apostle. The Greek word sounds almost like our English word. It's apostolos. It's found 33 times in the book of Acts. So obviously, apostles are going to be very important in the birth of the church, in the development of the church. And there are some scriptures in the New Testament where the Greek word is found, but it may be translated messenger or ambassador. One example, and this is not found in your notes, but in 2 Corinthians 8.23, in the King James, Paul talks about himself and others being messengers to the churches. NIV, I think, says representatives to the churches. Well, if you look it up in the Greek, it's apostolos, apostles to the churches. But I really like that term, messenger. That's really all it is. These were men sent out by God as messengers to various churches. They were set apart and then sent out. They didn't send themselves. They didn't choose themselves. They didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to be an apostle. And now it's become almost a joke, but you can go online and for a couple of hundred dollars, there are organizations that will give you credentials for being an apostle. Now I'm Apostle Joe or Apostle John, only cost me a couple hundred bucks and I got the paperwork to prove it. That's foolishness. This is why the church in many parts of the world today is in the condition it's in. We need real apostles with real power, real anointing, and men who have really been called by God, set apart by God, and sent with His Word, His anointing, and His authority to the churches. Jesus is actually referred to as an apostle in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 3, 1, it says, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. <coughs> well, we don't normally think of him as being an apostle, but if we understand the term, it's very simple. He was sent by the Father as not only a messenger, but he is the message. But he was sent by the Father. Notice what he said to his apostles in John 20, verse 21. And Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. Remember, an apostle is a sent one. He was sent by his Father. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the Father sent Jesus. Jesus is now going to send Peter, James, John, and the others. That's what made them apostles, messengers sent by Christ to the churches. In Mark 3, I love this passage because I think it shows the whole process of the apostles being called, set apart, and then sent out by Jesus. 
Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Now let's pause. Notice it does not say all those who wanted to come came to him. No. In another place the Bible says, No man takes this honor to himself, but he that is called by God. And that's why Peter says, Make your calling and election sure. Pray, fast, make sure you understand what God has called you for, what his assignment on your life is. These men were called by God. They didn't choose themselves. They didn't appoint themselves. He called to him those he wanted. They weren't perfect. Peter was in this bunch. He had a lot of rough edges. And at the end, it looked like he was a total failure. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. In many cases, he called them with two words, follow me. They dropped their nets, they left their tax tables, and they started following him. The call is why they came to him. Verse 14, he appointed twelve designating them apostles. Now notice this next part. That they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. The order is very important. He called them, they came to him, he appointed or ordained them as apostles, and then notice the order after that. That they might be with him. That's important. Before being sent out, they had to spend time with him. After being with him, then he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. They didn't send themselves they didn't choose the time to be sent or the place to be sent. That was in Jesus' hands. They were the sent ones. And <clears throat> when we get further along in the book of Acts and start seeing the Apostle Paul, he spent his first three years after being saved and called in the desert. Three years, he was just in the desert. And his final four years, he spent in prison. So, the timing here is up to God. It's not like in one day, he said, Alright, you guys are all apostles, go out and start churches. That's not how it worked. And a very important scripture to understand this process of the sent ones being sent out by God, by Jesus. Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, is a familiar passage. 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God for that promise. Anyone, everyone, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then, 
Paul asks a series of questions. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So, you have to have sent ones when they're sent out as messengers. They have a message. So they preach the message. People hear the message. Then they can believe in the message. And once they believe, they can call on the one that they have believed in and thereby be saved. The New Testament speaks a lot about apostles and apostolic ministry, not just the book of Acts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, for instance, we see that God appointed the apostles first in the church. Note this in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And in the church, Paul's going to list a number of different ministry offices. And in the church, God has appointed, that's the word also that can be translated ordained or established. In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now I'm getting way ahead of myself, but in Acts 13, we will see that in the church of Antioch, they had a number of teachers and a number of prophets, including Saul of Tarsus, who would later be named Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas. Interestingly, at that point in time, it doesn't mention any apostles in Antioch, just teachers and prophets. And it mentions by name Saul of Tarsus and Barnabas. Then the Holy Spirit says, separate Saul and Barnabas for me. And they are sent out from Antioch by the Holy Spirit. From the next chapter on, whenever Saul and Barnabas are mentioned, they're called apostles. They were teachers or prophets, as long as they were in the local church there, but when they were sent out by the Holy Spirit as messengers, then they're referred to as apostles, sent by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 Verses 11 and 12 mentions five ministry offices. It was he, Christ in context, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Notice again, they didn't choose this. They didn't go to school to learn how to be an apostle. 
They didn't pay somebody on the internet to credential them as an apostle. Christ gave them to the church. These are sometimes referred to as ministry gifts, not the gifts of the Holy Spirit like prophecy or tongues. These are office ministries, gifts that Christ gave back to the church. An apostle is a gift from Jesus to the church. A prophet is a gift from Jesus to the church. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It doesn't say they do all the work. They prepare the body to do all the work. And earlier in the same book of Ephesians, Paul uh, confirms what he wrote to the Corinthians about the apostles. Look in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, we had this discussion last time in our introduction, but let me touch on it again. Many mainline church denominations, and I don't want to bother mentioning them now, but we're talking about mainline church denominations, their official position on the book of Acts now is it's no longer for today. It was a transitional writing until the rest of the New Testament could be written, and once all of the other epistles and the writings of the New Testament were complete, we don't need the book of Acts anymore. And with the death of Paul, he was the last apostle, there would be no more apostles after Paul, and there are certainly no more apostles now. We don't need any of the gifts or signs or wonders or anything that was in the book of Acts because now we have the New Testament. Well, I mentioned to you very bluntly, if that's the case, I quit. I quit even trying to be a minister. If there's no more power like they had in the early church, no more signs and wonders like they had in the early church, no more apostolic ministry like they had in the early church, we're kidding ourselves if we think we're going to build a church that can penetrate and conquer the gates of hell. How much more we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How much more we need power, authority, and all of the things that we're going to be learning about in the book of Acts. Now, that doesn't mean we're inventing new doctrines. The original apostles, God gave them revelation, and they taught the church what is known as apostolic doctrine. And we'll talk about that a little later on. But there were certainly more than 12 apostles. I just mentioned a 13th one, Barnabas, and many others are singled out by name in the New Testament as being apostles. So it's not like there were 12, they all died, and God did away with apostles. Even in the Ephesian church, 
when John the Apostle wrote to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation, which was around 90 AD, many, many years after the book of Acts was completed, he's commending the Ephesian church on being able to test and discern between true and false apostles. Well, that wouldn't even make sense if everybody knew the last apostle was Paul. We don't need to vet or discern anything. You're, you can't possibly be apostle because there aren't any more. That's foolishness. The church today needs and has apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Because they form the very foundation of the church, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Now, it's not my intention in this study to go in depth into the apostolic ministry, but let me just say one or two things. All of these 11 apostles shared several things in common. They had left everything. They had sold everything to follow Jesus. And so they had come to a place by the time Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. They wanted nothing. They had no desires. They had no interests of their own. They were sold out to Jesus. Peter was able to say very confidently into Jesus' face one day, Lord, we have left all. Jesus said, very good, Peter. That's good. Now I'm going to give you a hundredfold houses, lands, and everything else, but you left everything to follow me. And so this core group of men who had been with him for three and a half years heard all of his teachings, saw all of his miracles, and importantly, again, 40 days after his resurrection, he spent with them, convincing them that he was alive, teaching them on the kingdom of God. They would become the foundation of this thing called the church. We still don't have a church in Acts 1. They're waiting but God is preparing these apostles because he knows they're going to form the foundation. Look also in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 to 11. Paul says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Notice the difference. They're the building. Paul is the builder. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. <coughs> Talk to any builder any architect, and they'll tell you the most important part of a building is the foundation. If you don't get the foundation right, I don't care how wonderful your blueprints are, how 
wonderful your building materials and even how skilled your builders are, it'll be a mess. If the foundation is wrong, the whole building will be wrong. And they, they take great pains and efforts to lay this thing out so it's perfectly square, the exact measurements, everything has to be just right in the foundation. That's why you need an expert builder to lay the foundation. Then others can come along and start building upon it. But Paul understood his grace, his calling as an apostle was to do that foundation work. Interestingly, and I was only able to make this statement after careful study <clears throat> throughout the entire book of Acts, but I can now make this statement. All of the churches that are mentioned in the book of Acts were founded by apostles. And even one, if you know the books, book of Acts fairly well, even one might come to your mind as a question, and that would be in Acts 8, when Philip, one of the seven deacons, who was later called an evangelist, went down to Samaria. He had a great revival there, many souls saved, healed, demons cast out, they baptized multitudes, the whole city was in revival. But, Philip waited for the apostles to come from Jerusalem to lay hands on the people so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so even in the case of Samaria, they needed apostles to come and make sure the church was properly founded. So, the apostolic ministry from chapter 1 all the way through to the end of the book of Acts is central to the birth, growth, development of the church. And that's, again, why it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. Apostles are messengers sent by God to the churches. The Apostle is the first of all the ministries that God has appointed in the church, and they, together with the prophets and Christ, actually become the foundation of the church. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, John is given a vision of the New Jerusalem, the Bride of Christ, which is the church. And there he sees 12 foundation stones in the city. On each stone is the name of an apostle. So, whenever you hear about apostolic ministry, think foundation, think messenger, think someone that was set apart, called and set apart by God, sent out on a specific mission. Now, some people get terms confused here. It doesn't necessarily mean every missionary is an apostle. Certainly, apostles we can think of as a kind of a missionary, but not every missionary is necessarily an apostle. Other ministries are also 
going to be going out in that sense. But the apostles, especially this first group of apostles, God gave them special revelation concerning Christ, concerning the church. Because remember, in all four Gospels, church is only mentioned twice. So you can study the four Gospels until the cows come home. You're not going to really understand the church. We have to wait until the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon these apostles and begins to reveal to them the mystery of the church, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. And as they began to receive this revelation from the Holy Spirit, they in turn taught these things to the church, and it became known as the Apostles' teaching, or the Apostles' doctrine. Notice, for instance, in Ephesians 3, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Mysteries are not like murder mysteries or Sherlock Holmes mysteries. It's not that kind of a mystery. These are truths that have been hidden. They've been kept behind a veil until the appropriate time when God chooses to reveal them. The word reveal literally means to unveil, or to open up the curtains and show what was behind them. So, many truths concerning Israel and the Gentiles becoming one body, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ and His Bride, Christ and the Church, these are things that are now going to be revealed, unveiled to us through the Holy Spirit directly to the apostles and prophets. And so the apostles would play a major role in the early church in teaching all of the other believers those truths. Notice in Acts 2.42, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves because the church hasn't even been started yet. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and began to give these revelations to the apostles, it says in Acts 2.42, all the believers in the first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, everybody received the Holy Spirit there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. You had 120 there. Not all of those 120 were designated apostles. They all received the Holy Spirit, and John would later encourage every believer who has the Holy Spirit, he says, you have an anointing in you. And that anointing is going to teach you. 
Jesus taught that even when he was here on earth. I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm going to send you another counselor. He's going to lead you into all truth. He will teach you things. So, there's no contradiction here. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Every one of us, he's our teacher. But God gave special revelation to these apostles so that they could teach the believers in the early church. So, all of the church was meeting together with the apostles who were teaching them these truths. It's called the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. So, let's summarize all that we've talked about thus far about apostles because they are so important. They were set apart by Jesus Christ. They were set apart with a very special calling. They went through a very special preparation, three and a half years with Jesus, and even after Jesus' resurrection, another 40 days of very special training and preparation for the ministry that God had called them to do. They would eventually be sent out by the Holy Spirit into all the world with the message as messengers, sent ones. And their primary responsibility, particularly in the early church, was to lay a proper foundation, both through teaching, through their life, their lifestyle, through miracles, signs, and wonders, and through their wisdom, through their counsel, the apostles would be center stage in getting this thing called the church off to the right start. Now, as I mentioned, one of the aspects of their, if you want to call it their 40-day final training was for him to convince them that he had risen from the dead. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. You know, one of the things I've come to appreciate about God, he works with our faith where we are. Some are weak in faith, some have little faith, some have no faith. A few have great faith, and a lot of us are somewhere in between. He doesn't cast us off and just rebuke us and say, Ah, you're no good, I can't do anything with you. He'll take us where we are and start working with us. He'll work with a Thomas, a doubting Thomas, and show himself. Say, put your hand in my side here. Feel the marks in my hands. If you're still doubting Let's deal with the doubt and get you to a place where you're convinced. But my experience is God keeps working with our faith at the level we are at. The Amplified Bible, for verse 3, it says, He, Jesus, showed himself alive by a series of many convincing demonstrations unquestionable evidences 
and infallible proofs. If you meditate on that, I think you'll come to understand, as I have, God wants us to be believers. <laughs> whatever our doubts, whatever our questions, He wants to convince us beyond any shadow of a doubt that He is true, He's alive, He's real, He rose from the dead just like He promised. Because the whole foundation of Christianity rests upon this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul would later write, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, all of our preaching is useless and vain, and so is your faith. In other words, we're wasting our time, we're kidding ourselves, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So this is the central tenet of Christianity. Thus, he spent all this time, numerous visitations and appearances over 40 days to a number of different disciples to convince them that he was risen from the dead. Um, I made a quick list here in your notes. I'm just going to read through this. After his resurrection, Jesus made numerous bodily appearances over a period of 40 days. First to Mary Magdalene, in Matthew 28, then to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, then to Simon Peter in Luke 24, then to the ten disciples. Thomas was absent on that first appearance. You can read about it in Luke and John. Then he comes back again when Thomas is present. That's when he specifically addresses Thomas's doubts. He appeared to seven apostles in John 21 who went out fishing at the Sea of Tiberias. Then Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses after his resurrection. Then he appeared to James and finally with all of the disciples when they were assembled together at Bethany just before his ascension. We just read about that in Acts 1, 9-11. So, time after time after time, he keeps coming, showing that he's alive, showing them the marks in his hands, in his side, and his feet, bringing them to a place where they're convinced that he is alive. On at least one occasion, he walked through a wall. Um, he broke bread and ate with them. And then he disappeared. Uh, he gave them there in John 21 at the Sea of Tiberias. He gave them a supernatural catch of fish. And then he cooked the fish for them. This is all after his resurrection. And we're going to close there for this time because we want to lead right into next time the importance all through the book of Acts of Christ's resurrection. This was the central part of the apostles' message, their preaching, 
in all of their sermons, they would always talk about this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses that he has risen from the dead. So these 40 days were very critical in bringing every one of them to total, absolute faith and assurance, Jesus rose from the dead, and now we're witnesses of that fact. So, we haven't gotten very far yet in Acts 1, and I'm not promising you we're going to race through this. Every, Every verse is important. Every verse is loaded with important truth that we need to chew on and meditate, and I would strongly urge you between now and next week to read at least Acts 1 and 2, so that as we refer to these opening chapters, you're becoming more and more familiar with them. But certainly Acts 1 and 2, you want to read on your own and even go over the notes that we have discussed thus far. In summary, Acts is a continuation of Luke. Jesus is going to continue to do, continue to teach, both in his resurrection body for 40 days, and then through the Holy Spirit, who would be sent on the day of Pentecost. He spends 40 days with the apostles to build their faith, to teach them, give them final instructions before he leaves. He ascends back up into heaven before their very eyes. And if if that wasn't enough to convince these guys that Jesus really is the Messiah, uh, I don't think anything would. They've now seen him over and over in his resurrection body. They've actually watched him go up into heaven to be with the Father again. And all that remained was for them to wait until the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, came upon them. But next time, we'll talk more about the importance of his resurrection and their assignment to be witnesses of his resurrection. So until next time, um, be meditating on these first two chapters, and we'll continue from here next time. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us the book of Acts. I thank you that the physician Luke, who wrote the gospel, was so careful to chronicle and record for us all of these amazing events that took place leading up to the birth of the church and following the next 30 years of church development and history. And God, I pray that as we proceed through the book of Acts, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, your Holy Spirit would come upon us, God, that we would receive a fresh vision 
a fresh revelation of the church you are building in these last days. God, we're not interested in getting people to join our churches. We're interested in learning how to join your church. Because you said you would build your church in these last days. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. Lord, I pray for each and every one listening to this Bible study that they would be thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. You made him Lord of all. He is risen from the dead. He has now ascended back to the Father and poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit so that the church can arise and be glorious in all of the earth in these last days. God, continue to speak to us, continue to encourage us, continue to use each and every one of us. And as we wait upon you, that you would speak to each one of us individually about our calling, our gifts, our assignments, our ministries, what it is that you've called each one of us to do as members of the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless and keep each one. Continue to speak to us. Continue to draw us closer and closer to yourself. We ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.